This morning, I want to wrap up, and I've been sharing over the last few weeks with you, uh, really concerning uh, small groups, but kind of the heart behind it, and really, uh, but it's deeper than that. It's more than just a style of ministry or a moment or this or you know. There's more to it, and it's much deeper uh, than just a change in schedule. It's, it's the difference than just a change in approach, if you will. Um, that I believe that that this is a biblical model that we see repeated throughout Scripture, and uh, the early church did it quite well. And uh, you know, and so uh, we've been looking over the the last couple of weeks, but uh, I've been sharing with you kind of the, and we've really focused on one mainly, uh, but uh, really kind of there's threefold aspects and ways that that we see the ministry of God throughout Scripture to people, which is us, is the power of the pulpit. The power of the circle and the power of the Spirit. And, uh, and I believe that for us to really um, accomplish all that God has for us, we got to have all three. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, I believe in the preaching of the Word of God. I am a preacher, so I, I hope it ain't going anywhere. And, uh, but I believe in the power of what we're doing right here. You know, we, you could say it this way, is that we're doing ministry in a row right now. Amen. Where we come and really, you know... We we join corporately, but it's hard to engage personally on a Sunday morning. Uh, it just is, and uh, you know, and so. But that's but there is a place, and there's power in the pulpit. There's power in the preaching of the gospel. Romans chapter one verse sixteen says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." Why? Because it is the power of God into salvation. There is power in preaching of the gospel of Christ. And yet, you know, but one of the things that, and I shared this with you previously, I think this was last week, and is that preaching is not the end-all, be-all. Jesus preached to tens of thousands, but he had a few hundred disciples. So if preaching were the end-all, be-all, Jesus would have just stayed alive and kept preaching to the whole world in a public ministry. But... Preaching doesn't necessarily create disciples. It's not automatic. What creates disciples is relationship and connection. You know, that there's this deeper connection that's happening than just what we're experiencing in this moment. Although this is right and important and I'm not devaluing what we do on a Sunday morning at all. But what I am saying is that it's not the end all be all of everything. It's not this is the ultimate The ultimate is to create disciples, followers of Christ, students, if you will. And that can only happen inside of relationship. Or let me say it this way. It happens deeper and quicker inside of relationship. I believe that you could come to church and just hear somebody preach the word, which is good. And it will work for you. But I believe if you'll come to church hear the word preached, and then you have some connections with, uh, you know, as far as real heart connection. I'm going to talk about this here in a few minutes with people. I believe not only will the work of the preaching of the gospel work faster, but I believe it will also work deeper. And so if I, you know, I mean, kind of in uh, agricultural terms, if you wanted grass to grow in your yard, could you throw out some seeds in your yard and throw some water on it? Would the grass grow? Yes, it will grow. Why? Because for grass to grow, you need seed, sunlight, and water. Those are the three components necessary. But what if I told you I could make your grass grow faster if you threw some fertilizer on it? And the grass would actually be healthier and thicker simply by adding some fertilizer to the yard. 
I don't know about you. I'm impatient. I like results better and faster. Load me up. How much can I put out there? Like, you know, just dump. Let's just pour it out. That's what I'm talking about. The preaching is the seed. The water is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But yet our connection to one another can be that fertilizer. That can what? It doesn't change the seed and it doesn't change the water. But what it does is it amplifies their effects. And that's what we're talking about when I'm talking about the power of, a, of the circle. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This is uh, the description of the early church. And this is uh, kind of where we've been uh, launching out of, if you will, and kind of just starting out. But we see here that they kind of had a way of doing life. And it says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, which included the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So there were four elements that we see in the early church. There was the apostles' doctrine. You could say it this way. They listened to somebody teach. They listened to somebody preach the Word of God. So there was an element of that, but they also discussed it amongst themselves. Because it's teaching, instructing, and discipleship. So there were really three elements. It's not just that they came and listened to the Word that was preached. They actually got into groups and talked about it. They talked about the Word of God together. Why? Because the Bible says in Proverbs that iron sharpens iron. So one man can sharpen a friend. Well, the same thing happens when we get in relationship. And not just, and I don't mean just a, a friendship. I mean like a, a true spirit, heart-to-heart connection is what we're discussing. And so we see this though. Is that, so they committed themselves. This translation says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, which is to community. It was joint participation. In other words, you could say it like this. is Not every time we get together does it have to be obviously spiritual. Sometimes we just want to get together and have a party. That's okay, and Jesus smiles at that too. Why? Because that's important. That's fellowship. That's part of relationship. I mean, you know, it's doing life together. You know, I mean, if you know of somebody in the church has a common interest with you, go do it together. Why not? That's relationship. And so they committed themselves, you could say it this way, is that they committed themselves to the gospel. They committed themselves to one another. They committed themselves to the breaking of bread, which was the sharing of meals. But that also included the Lord's Supper, what we would call communion, and to prayer. So they had four elements. You know, the chair you're sitting in has four legs on that chair. Let me come rip one leg off and see how well you sit in your chair. (laughs) Probably not going to be too well. More than likely, you're going to end up in the floor pretty quickly. Well, I believe that this is a biblical model that if we're wise, we will follow. And when I say we, I don't mean like we as the church. I mean we as an individuals. For you to really, I believe, reach your full potential in Christ, you need all four of these elements. You do. Because you're going to have times where you're not going to be as strong as you might need to be. And you're going to need people to come beside you and lift you up. And to walk with you and to pray with you and say, you're going to come through this. You're going to make it through this. It's going to work out. And then when they're weak, you get to come be their support system. You know, and that's, that's what we see here. And so as a result, and I've been sharing this for the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to kind of roll through some of this at the beginning here fairly quickly. Um, 
But as a result of their commitment to each other and to the church, it was strengthened and it grew. The church grew because everybody was being ministered to. No one was being neglected. And so, uh, you know, even as we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about having real community or connection, I'm not talking or I'm not saying that you just need more friends. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying get on Facebook and start adding friends and you're like, hey, will you friend me and do you like me and do that's not that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about true spiritual relationships, like someone that you could go discuss the Bible with or say, look, there's something I'm struggling with and I don't really know what God thinks about it. Can you help me? You've got to have a spiritual person to ask spiritual questions and have spiritual conversations with. Why? Because the Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to the unlearned. In other words, those who aren't saved, they're not in relationship with God. Now, they may have theories of God, but they have no basis of which to actually say this is who God is. As believers, we have the word. They're just giving you an opinion based off of an experience, which may or may not even be true at all. We have the word of God that we can help each other with and say, hey, you know, I know that you're facing a challenge and I know that you said this, but biblically speaking, this is important. Now, I'm not saying that we should be legalistic, but we should be committed to the word. Like ultra committed to the word. Now, I'm not one of those who, you know, because legalism produces death. That's why I don't like legalism. That's just religion. But the word brings life. Amen. Proverbs even says that a word at the right moment spoken is like sweet honey. That it refreshes and restores the heart and the soul of man. And so we need that. We have to have those heart-to-heart connections. Those people that it's not just, hey, you know, that's who I go to church with, but that's who I do life with. Yes. You know, I, I share with you this verse out of Romans chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Uh, I think it was... I don't know if it was the first week or last week. But it was the Apostle Paul, I believe it was week one. But he said, one of the things, uh, in verse 10, one of the things I always pray for is, or pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come and see you at last. For I long to uh, visit you so that I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow in the Lord. And I shared this thought with you that if the Apostle Paul had to be face to face to give them the gift, because he's the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. He's arguably the greatest Apostle that we know of in the Bible. If he couldn't bring, or if he couldn't get a spiritual gift to somebody until he was face to face with them, we're probably going to have to be face to face with people too. It doesn't mean that a call or a text or, I mean, there are limitations It doesn't mean that I'm limited, but the ultimate best is face-to-face. That's the way that ministry works the best. Now, there are obviously circumstances that that doesn't always allow for, and it will still be effective, but it's different when you're face-to-face. And so he said that he wanted to bring them a spiritual gift so that they could grow in the Lord. And I love this verse 12. He says, uh, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. There's this mutual faith happening. And so in other words, he says, I'm going to make you better and you're going to make me better. There's this mutual growth that's going to happen when we get together face to face. And I know the Lord has given me something for you, but I'm expecting the Lord to have something from you to me as well. The message translation says it this way. Don't think that I'm not expecting to get anything out of this. He says, you have as much to give me as I do to you. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. 
writing to the Romans. Which if you go do a little history, they weren't exactly the most spiritual bunch. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be ugly. Just go read chapter 1 of Romans. You'll find out real quick about their spiritual depth. And yet Paul still, as the Apostle Paul says, I have a gift for you, but hey, I want something too. That there's going to be this mutual exchange of faith. And so, you know, I've been saying this statement and and making this statement uh, every week. And so, is this, is that community or connections happens in circles, not in rows. Connection happens in circles, not in rows. In other words, it's going to be hard for you to connect to the person sitting right in front of you or right behind you. Why? Because you're either looking at the back of their head or they're looking at the back of your head and there's no actual conversation. You know, I share with you just the the thought of even in my relationship with Dara that when we're serious and we have like a, a, a conversation that's important to one of us, she doesn't like to talk to the back of my head. She doesn't like me staring off into the TV. She'll say, or I'll say, either way, hey, can you pause that? I need some eye focus. I need to know that we are talking. That, that, you know, that there is actual communication being had. That I'm not just talking, but that we're communicating. Well, here that can happen is that connection happens... In circles, not necessarily in rows. So, you know, I shared with you last week the, just the, 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 the principle, if you ought to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back and listen to it. It's on the podcast about that we wanted to be a place where people could belong so that they could believe, so that they can become. Most, in other words, because a lot of times people say this, is that when you believe first, eventually you'll fit in. Yeah. I like to say it this way. When you look like us, sound like us, dress like us, talk like us, you're going to fit in just fine. And that's the way most churches are. When you know how to talk like us, and depending on your background, the church that I grew up in was Word of Faith. We had a certain way we talked. And you knew if they were from within the circle or not. It was real apparent, real fast. You don't talk right. Oh, you shouldn't say that. Be careful. You measured your words. Because... If you didn't talk right, you didn't fit. I know none of you have ever been to church like that. Oh, don't say that. The devil's going to get you. If he was going to get me, he would have done got me, first of all. So, let's just... But that's not who we need to be as a church. We need to be a place where people are accepted so that we can lead them to Christ so that they can become who God intends them to become. But they've got to belong first. And so I want to amend this. I'm not amending it. I'm just going to give you another statement. I'm going to kind of add to it for the direction that I had in my heart uh, for this morning. So the statement that I've been sharing with you is this. Is that connections happens in rows, not in circles. But I want to add a statement to this this morning. And it's this. Is that ministry happens in circles, not just in rows. Ministry happens in circles, not just in the rows. Because if we're not careful, and we talked about this last week, is that we can just say, well, the preaching of the Word of God is enough. And the ministry of the pulpit is enough. It's not. It's just not. You know, I remember um, a number of years ago when I was on staff at Word of Life, Pastor Sam 
one day we were in a staff meeting. Well, I say it was a staff meeting. It was me, him, and the executive pastor and, uh, of our church. And we were talking, and uh, it was kind of like staff review thing. So he's kind of like, how are you doing at your job? So a lot of people were really nervous. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, whatever. And, uh, but he, asked, he made a statement, and he said, David, he said, we believe that our worship and our word are good enough that people will come to our church. And he asked me, he said, do you agree? Now, this is my boss. This is also my pastor, who I have tons of respect. Probably, I don't know if there's anybody I respect more than him in the ministry. Um, you know, because I've watched him for 35 years. Um, you know, I grew up in his church. And in the moment, he, and he asked me, he said, do you agree? And in the moment, I said, yes. And it bothered me the moment I said it. I mean, the instant I said it, it bothered me. And, uh, but we went on with the conversation. I knew I was going to have another meeting with him. So I had prayed and just asked the Lord, uh, you know, to give me wisdom on how to approach it. And so in our next meeting, the follow-up to that one, because, you know, we had talked and I had to formulate what a plan, you know, kind of for some of the things he wanted to produce in the church, this and that. And uh, so, you know, yeah, that's church world for you. And uh, it's a little different. But um, anyhow, and so we go back to this next meeting that I'm supposed to lay out my plan. I said, Pastor, I need to, uh, before we get into the stuff I have for you today, I just, you asked me a question and I just, I want to, I want you to know I'll always be honest with you. And I said, and because I answered a certain way previously and I, I have to retract my answer. He kind of looked at me funny. I said, well, you asked me. The question was, we believe our worship and, and the word that's taught here is enough that people will come back and that people will connect to our church. And he said, yeah, okay, yeah. I've asked everybody that question. And I said, well, I don't agree. And he kind of looked at me, you know, kind of like, okay. And I said, because I believe relationships matter. Connections matter. Because, I, you know, and I began to share with him a lot of what I'm, teaching you and these are just things that the Lord has just stirred in me more and more and more is that look somebody can come here and have a great experience in the presence of God they can be touched by the message but if they're not connected to somebody they will go find somewhere else to connect to even if they can't connect with God in worship even if the even if they can't connect to the person preaching they will go land somewhere else because they're looking to belong and why? Because it's the number one need of every human being is to be accepted. Yeah. It, first and foremost. And, and so, you know, and I believe that with all of my heart. We could be, we could have just like the Shekinah glory of God where you walk in and Jesus is just standing on the stage. And some people would come and say, that was really neat, but I never met anybody. They didn't even care I was there. And it makes a difference. And the truth is, is that what happens many times, and it's exactly what, what this statement says, is that ministry happens face to face as much as it does in the rows. Amen. But yet, as people who come and attend church, it's easy for us to say, well, this is the way ministry happens. This is a form of ministry, but it is not all-inclusive of ministry. Ministry happens person to person. God moves here, sure. God speaks, absolutely. But God will also speak just as well in a small group. God will speak, you know, and I have friends where I may be praying for them. And, you know, most of my friends don't live that close, and I'll call them. Hey, I was praying for you today, and I felt like the Lord stirred this in my heart for you. I don't know what that has to do with. I don't even know if it means anything to you. You're like, yeah, I know exactly what that has to do with. Thank you. 
Well, that's ministry. Well, that's not me as pastor. That's me as a believer calling a friend. And just saying, hey, this is, I believe the Lord stirred this in my heart for you. And so, you know, we have to, in a sense, you can't let the mentality that ministry, like real ministry, only happens from the pulpit. Real ministry only happens from somebody with a title. I mean, they didn't call Jesus pastor. So, he didn't have that title. He didn't need it. Why? Because his ministry was proven by the ministry that he did. And the same is true for us as believers, as individuals. You don't need a title. You don't need any, you don't need any of those things. You just have to have faith that God wants to use you and to move through you. And He will. And the neat thing is, is that ministry happens in circles, but it happens not only in you, because it will happen in you, but it will also happen out of you. And what will happen is there's a deeper connection, heart-to-heart connection, yes. that will happen between you and other members of this body. And so, uh, you know, I was sharing last week about that, really. And so, you know, and I even shared, um, you know, even from Ephesians 4. We're not going to read it, but last week I shared Ephesians 4, chapter, or verses 11 through 16. He talks about how God gave gifts to the church. And it was the apostle, the, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. And so it was to equip or to train or to mature the church so they could now do the work of the ministry, which is what? Ministering to the rest of the body. It's not solely my responsibility to minister to all of y'all. Smile at me. Tell me you love me. It is not solely my responsibility to minister to every one of you. I have a function, but it is our responsibility to minister to us. But you have to understand and grab hold of that fact. It's not just, well, you're a pastor, you do ministry. Although that's true, but yet not all ministry that I do is in the context of pastor. There's a lot of ministry I do as a believer in Christ. And I would say they're equally as important. One is not more important than the other. And so if you're not careful, though, you'll just say, well, you're, you're the minister. Well, the Bible says it. I'm to train you for the work of the ministry. In other words, to do ministry. And so very simply, you know, I'll say this, is that the mindset would be this, is that, well, the minister does all the ministry. Which is logical. It's just not biblical. Amen. (laughs) This is the way I would define a minister, by the way. Is that ministers are the ones who ministry flows through. In other words, it's not a title or a position. If God's presence is flowing through you to touch somebody else, that qualifies you to, as a minister. Amen. It's simple. It's not complicated. Now, confidence is another thing. Confidence to be able to minister, that's different. But, you know, you didn't learn to ride a bike the first time you jumped on it. And if you were like me, you did pretty good. You just didn't know how to stop. Until <laughs> I just fell over in somebody's yard. I had the riding down pat. I just didn't know I had to stop. You know, I just had to bail. <laughs> Took a little while to figure that one out. But, and here's the thing, and this is important the way that I said that, is that ministers are the ones who ministry flows through because we're not actually the ones doing the ministry. Amen. We're just a channel. That's good. That's right. Think of a water hose. 
Does a water hose possess water in it? Or does it take water from one place, take that water somewhere else to disperse it? If I unhook that water hose, water doesn't keep flowing, right? You can't minister without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. Why? Because He's the minister. We're the channel that He's flowing through. So here's the good news about that. It takes all the pressure off of you. I don't have to create change in anybody. Because you can't. If you think you can, start with your spouse. You'd be better off to walk over to that wall and start headbanging. At least you'd have something to show for it. Big old red spot. You can't change anybody. But what you can do is be a, a channel that the Holy Spirit can flow through to minister to other people and you let Him do what only He can do. You let the Holy Spirit work. Well, then the pressure's not on me. The pressure's not on you. And there may be times that, you know, and I still do this many times, that I'll say, hey, I feel like the Lord has put this in my heart for you. Mean anything to you? Just checking. More times than not now, the answer is, yeah, that, that means something. I, I, I believe I know what that's talking about. There was a time where it was like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Why? Because I was, it's like riding a bike. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Well, the only way you're going to get better at it is by trying. See, the enemy would love to keep you afraid of failing to the point where you're like, I just ain't never going to say nothing to anybody. And so what happens? It shuts up ministry because you're like, oh, I, I don't do that. And I've heard that many people. Oh, I don't do that. Nope, that, that's somebody else's. I don't do that. Oh, have you asked the Lord if he wants you to do it? I mean, something as simple as praying for somebody who's sick. Oh, I don't do that. The Bible says these signs shall follow those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick. And if somebody's sick, they probably wish somebody would pray for them. Because they'd definitely want to be better. Well, there's no qualifier there. It just says if you believe. I like the one translation that says hands they will lay and healed they will be. I like that one. But that's ministry. But am I the one who brings healing to somebody? I can't heal nobody. I can't even heal myself. How am I going to heal somebody else? I've got to look to the Lord by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life and say, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're bringing healing into my body or into whatever the circumstance may be. There's still a reliance upon Him. So for true ministry to take place, it requires the work of the, and the power of the Spirit of God. Now, there is a question. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, let me flop my notes here. I'm going to go down first, and I'll come back to that. See, part of the thought that I believe that not just, when I say the church, I'm not talking about necessarily just our church. I just mean churches in general because it's more convenient, and uh, it's a little bit, uh, you don't have to take on any responsibility if you have this mindset. Is this, is that the power of God is reserved for this room and for this time. God moves on Sunday mornings when we get together. And if God doesn't say anything to me during that time, God doesn't want to say anything to me all week. Now, nobody says that, but that is people's mindset. That's kind of the way they live their life. So 
See, the Bible says is that God's power is available anywhere where a few of us, a handful of us. The same power, the same... I mean, you know, there's not a different Holy Spirit for Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever it may be. It's the same Holy Spirit that works through me that will work through you. It's not different. I don't have more of the Holy Spirit. I have the same Holy Spirit that you have. So you shouldn't feel inferior. And if you do, that's the work of the enemy. To hold you back from what? Reaching your full potential in Christ. So God's power is not reserved for this room or for this time of the week. His is available any time that we get together. Now Jesus made this statement. So you want to know how many do you have to have? In Matthew chapter 18 verse 18. Jesus um, makes the statement and he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, there goes the whole sovereignty of God out the window, by the way. People say, oh, well, you can't ever understand God. He'll do whatever he wants. Well, what did Jesus say? Whatever you forbid on earth. In other words, use your authority in Christ. Take some authority. No, I don't have to be sick. I don't have to be broke. I don't have to have all these things going on. I don't have to be, you have chaos in my home. No, I take authority. Amen. It says, whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, whatever you allow, God's going to allow. Verse 19 says, I tell you this, if any two of you uh, here on earth, or if any two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together as my followers... So it's not just a group of people getting together. Right. It's when we come together as believers. Something happens. Amen. Jesus makes the statement and says, When two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus personally says, Look, I'll show up. The presence of God, the power of God is available. You get two people. That's all you need. That's why God hates marriage. Why? Because it's two Two people. If two or three gather. Well, if he can divide a couple, he can win. Divide and conquer. That's the plan of the enemy in marriage. But what happens when two get together? God says, hey, I'm going to authorize whatever you guys agree to. Amen. That's the power of a husband and a wife. But that also can play out even if you're not married. Or maybe you're not married to a believer. Go find another believer. And hook up with them. Pray. Ask the Lord. Why? Because God's presence, God's power is there. This goes into every area of life. In John chapter 7 verse 37 and 38. Jesus stands up on the last day of the festival. And he makes the statement. He says, anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me. Verse 38 says, Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, I'm kind of a stickler on words. It didn't say that rivers of living water would flow to his heart. In other words, the ministry didn't stop with you. The ministry comes to you to go out of you. So everything that God does in you, He ultimately wants to do through you. 
Man, there's, you know, I don't know who I got it from, but there's this quote that I use. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a whole class in Bible school that I have basically written off of this statement, which is that God wants to do something great through you, but He first got to do something great in you. Amen. He wants to do something great through you, but He's first got to do something great in you. For God to flow through you, He needs to do it in you. And so it's important, but it says here that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. In verse 39, he says, When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to anyone believing in him. So he's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit flowing through. Rivers of living water. Rivers of living water will what? Will flow through you, not out of your head, out of your spirit man. That life of God that has been deposited in you will flow out of you as well. So you should be just as confident when you pray and ask God to work for you as you would when you pray for somebody else. Now, relationships matter. They make a difference. Let me give you an example of this. I mean, I've been in the ministry a long time and I've had people call me on the phone. Don't know who they are. Hey, we have somebody, you know, line two that needs to talk to a pastor. I'm a pastor and I'm at church, so... Take up the phone, don't know them, don't have a clue who they are. I just need somebody to pray with me. Okay, we can do that. Tell me what's going on, let's pray. It's totally different when somebody from the church calls that I know. And they say, hey, this is so-and-so, I just need to let you know what's going on. Why? Because there's a relationship that now makes that prayer even more meaningful to me. And that's true for all of us. If you don't believe me, go find the first stranger you can find when you leave church and say, hey, can I pray for you? It's a little, it's, it's not the same. Doesn't mean the prayer is not effective. Doesn't mean that it can't work. But my heart's not invested in the same way. I mean, I have friends of mine that I've been friends with for about as long as I've walked with the Lord. So we kind of got saved together. We've walked through a lot of things together. My heart's invested i got, you know, two decades in some of these relationships. And they're very meaningful. But it's that face-to-face, it's that heart connection. See, here's what I would tell you. Because we live in a very digital age. Facebook, phone, all that kind of stuff. If there's a heart connection first, the distance doesn't make a difference. The problem is we want to just have those cell phone, text, Facebook relationships and expect depth. That only comes one way. That's face-to-face relationship. And God's desire is that it would flow through us. i got two more scriptures, and I ain't got nearly enough time. It's okay. Two more sets of scriptures. We're going to read this quickly, though. Here in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. This is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Jesus told the disciples, He said, look, y'all go, and y'all wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. The holy who, and how do we know when he gets there? <laughs> All right, you know, I mean, like, how, how do we know? You'll know. Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came in with the sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire they could see and all this. It's, a, it's an incredible moment. And so they come out into the streets because everybody starts hearing the commotion. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. So Peter steps out and he says, listen... Carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, he says, make no mistake about this. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, or people are not drunk. 
As some of you are assuming, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. (laughs) That's what it says, okay? He says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see uh, visions and your old men will dream dreams. It says, in those days I will pour out my spirit even on the servants. Men and women alike and they will prophesy. Now did it say the prophets would prophesy? It said even the servants. Even the, Now you have to understand culturally. This is, they're not trying to be uh, degrading. It's just they lived in a class system. There were these people, these people, these people, and these people. So he says, your sons and your daughters, upper echelons of society, they're going to prophesy. The people that are on the bottom will prophesy. And God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Regardless of where they may find themselves. And he says... In verse 19, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. It says the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, you know, I mentioned about this earlier just for a moment. But don't be moved by what we see happening in the world. You know, I heard something this week and I thought it was really interesting. And I've, I've heard bits and pieces, but I've never really been able to find a lot of like, factual data on this. But they said, one, you know, tomorrow is 9-11. I don't know if y'all are aware of that. Tomorrow is 9-11. It's been, what is that, 2001, so 16 years ago. And, uh, but here's one of the responses to 9-11 that I've never heard. Did you know that revival broke out in Iraq and Iran as a response to 9-11? Because people who were in the Muslim world saw that and had the thought, that's not the kind of Muslim I want to be. And they began to search for truth. And they found Jesus. As a, so even though, I mean, 9-11 was catastrophic. I mean, I've stood, I, I have pictures, me and Derek have pictures on top of the World Trade Towers together. Back in like 99 or something like that when we were dating. I went back and looked at the hole in the ground where it was five stories deep. So it's, you know, I have some connection to it in some small way. That was catastrophic, and yet the Lord still worked that and has what the devil intended to harm. The devil never wins. He never wins. Well, we hear of all kinds of, you know, you got stuff with North Korea going on in the news. People are like, oh my gosh, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And I serve a God who's big enough who can dissolve a bomb in midair. I mean, if that's what we need, God can do that. We've got storms going on. You know, I mean, you hear about an earthquake, seems like in the most random places. Well, the Bible says, hey, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. And you're going to hear about all these weather things and all that. You know, I mean, a few years ago, nobody knew what the moon going red looked like because it hadn't happened in our lifetime. Now we're like, oh, that's one of those blood moons they talk about. (laughs) It's like it's just automatic. For 20 years, I had no idea what that meant. I'm like, I'm going to be curious to see what that is. I think we've seen it now four or five times in the last two years. 
We just had, what was it, the lunar eclipse? Yeah. You know, I mean, didn't really make much of a difference here. It looked like, a, looked like there was some rain a little ways off, but we had a lunar eclipse. Well, the Bible speaks to all these things. And so one of the things that we can take is that, hey, the Bible is being fulfilled right before our eyes. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back next week. I don't have a clue, and neither do you. You might have a theory, but here's what we do know. Is that when we see these things that we need to be paying attention, knowing that the time that we have is limited. So we as believers, okay, if we know our time is limited, what do we do? We need to pay attention. We need to take the ministry that God has called us to. He chose of all the time in history that you could live on the planet, now is your time. So we have to understand that even as it says here is that God says, look, I will pour out my spirit on everybody. No, no reserve. I'll pour out my spirit on everybody and that they will actually begin to function in a gift. You are gifted. Amen. I've been saying this for a few weeks. Is there's more in you than you realize, than you know about, than you've tapped into. Amen. There is more in you. Yeah. And it says even here in the last days, if this is true, that we truly are living in the last days, guess what? We ought to be more attentive to one another. We ought to be strengthening each other. Why? For the work that we are called to. We make each other better. We make each other stronger. This is God's design for the church. It is the power of the circle through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can have the preaching of the Word of God. We can have the power of the Holy Spirit. But we still need to have that face-to-face connection. Because when things go crazy, and they will. I mean, we live in a crazy world with crazy people. Crazy people do crazy things. Shouldn't be a shocker. But yet, we were given to each other as a gift to encourage, to strengthen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. The apostle writes and says that there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of all of them. You know, I'm not a musician. I wish I were. If I could pray for anything, I would pray the Lord would just give me the ability to play drums. I, it's just not my gift, I'm telling you. I've tried. I went and got lessons. I did all this stuff. and Could I have done it? Sure. Is it what I'm called to do? No. And I knew that. And the Lord just kind of said, look, you can either take all this time to learn to play drums or you can devote it to what you're actually called to do. You're right. <laughs> so, But... That's not my gift. Now, I love to worship, but I'm not called to stand up there and sing or to play or to whatever that may be. That's not my calling. I love the blessing and the benefit that it brings. Here he says that there's different gifts, and yet the same Spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So he starts listing a few things here, and he says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Other translations would say it this way, is that spiritual gifts are given so that it would profit all. If your spiritual gift doesn't help somebody, it's out of order. Biblically. I didn't say that. I did say it. I'm repeating the word of God though. A spiritual gift is given to each so that it can help each other. 
To one, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise counsel or a word of wisdom. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of a special knowledge, a word of knowledge. The same Spirit gives a great faith to another. It's actually the gift of faith. It's not like some kind of special faith that somebody walks in on. It's a moment where the Holy Spirit comes on somebody in a moment with supernatural faith. I don't have time to teach on it, but it's not that you don't have faith if you don't have the gift of faith. This is something supernatural faith. It says, and to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. It says in verse 10, He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from God or another spirit. People always get this one crazy. It's called the discerning of spirits. And they're like, oh, that's a demon. That's this. No, it's the ability to hear somebody say something and be like, that ain't Jesus and that is. That's the discerning of spirits. Don't make it something that it's not. There's still another person who gives the ability to speak in unknown languages or in other tongues while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides each or which gift each person should have. Jump from verse 11 back up to verse 4. No, verse 7. It says a spiritual gift is given to each so that we can help each other. God has gifted you so that you can minister to other people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it this way. Is it your gift ain't your gift? You have a gift that belongs to God for His purpose. And the Lord will flow through you to other people, not just in this body, I mean, your gifts will function anywhere that you'll allow them. But they are also, specifically from Scripture, is that the body is intended to minister to the body. You know, we looked at that in James 5 a couple weeks ago. It says that we're to confess our sins and our faults and our shortcomings to one another that we can be healed. Healing comes in face-to-face relationship. Like, oh, I got it right between me and the Lord. Well, the Lord said, you need to go talk to somebody. You need to go get accountable. Why? So that healing can come. Restoration can come. The power of the Spirit can work in your life. It's not just enough for it to stay between you and Jesus and be like, well, we're good. The Bible gives us the instruction. Get face to face with somebody. Be honest with somebody. Tell them what, where you're really at. Why? Because when you're honest, because it's one thing to pray to God that you can't see. It's a whole other thing to have to be honest with somebody sitting across the, the living room from you or whatever. But the good news is that the power of the Holy Spirit will come into your life. And so even for you, as you're dealing with one another, as you're uh, kind of walking through life and even ministering to other people, this is what I would encourage you to do. You ought to have a belief that God wants to work through you. Is that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wants to flow not just to you, but through you. And you're going to have, look, it's going to be some trial and error. There's going to be some times you're going to miss it. There's times I miss it. There's times everybody does. Nobody's perfect. But I would rather err on the side of I'm trying to minister to somebody than I'd be too cautious to do anything. 
And that would be my encouragement to you. Learn to hear the voice of the Lord. Give it a try. Step out in faith. The best thing that could happen is that somebody's life gets changed because of it. Somebody gets ministered to by the grace of God. Simply because you are willing to step out. And that includes in our small groups that we're getting ready to start. Don't just walk in and be like, well, this is your small group. Impress me. Teach me something. You ought to come with a heart that's open and say, look, I'm ready to learn. I'm not just here to learn. I'm here to minister as well. Because the Lord may stir something in your heart and say, hey, you need to pray with them. And this is what I want you to pray. It's the safest place for you to learn how to follow the Lord. No one's going to yell at you and call you stupid because you're like, no, that ain't the Lord. Like, well, I, I don't really know what that's doing, but hey, I'll let you pray for me. We're to minister one to another. This is the reason why we're doing small groups. It's to put us all in a position where we can do just that. Amen.